my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a great week. Uh, yeah, a uh, real fun show today. Um, I was joined by Ian Hayworth, uh, who is a podcaster and YouTube guy, and uh, he also writes for uh, The Daily Wire and, and other outlets as well. Uh, yeah, real smart guy. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. We talked about, uh, we, we checked in with the 2020 Democratic hopefuls. We uh, talked about how terrible the corporate press is. Um seems to be a theme we bring up quite often on this show but yeah it was a lot of fun uh, before i get to ian uh guys please follow us on twitter at no gimmicks pod and if you haven't already i don't know what's wrong with you but if you haven't already please subscribe gotta subscribe on itunes soundcloud or google play and if you're in itunes please give us a five-star rating and a good review i'd really appreciate that all right without further ado here's my chat with ian hayworth <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with Ian Hayworth. Ian, thanks so much for taking the time, my friend. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course, anytime. So I talk uh, a lot to get to today, but I talk all the time on the show about how much I hate the press. Um, I think we all kind of hate the press equally at this point, if you are a, a conservative or a libertarian. But look, we haven't had a free press for decades. We, we kind of know that at this point. They, they are just the propaganda arm of the Democratic Party. But what's really troubling is that they at least lied about it for a while. You know, like they really hated Ronald Reagan, but they kind of pretended to do the news. You know, they're not pretending to do the news anymore. Um, they're really not hiding the ball. Um, th- those days are completely over. Uh, yesterday, NBC News uh, wrote a ridiculously stupid hit piece uh, on Mitch McConnell about how his great great grandfather owned slaves, um, and the press coordinated the release of this asinine hit piece around the announcement that Amy McGrath, a, a leftist Democrat, will be running against Mitch in 2020. I mean, this was just gross, man. Like, I, what, they, they literally coordinated the release mm-hmm. of this piece around McGrath's announcement. I mean, the press is a complete joke at this point. Well, I think what's so bizarre is that not only that it's so coordinated, but that's the level of hit piece they think is actually going to be effective, that someone's distant ancestors held slaves, but yet they're not going to apply the same logic to Kamala Harris, whose father wrote an article saying that um, someone in his family held slaves. I believe Barack Obama, someone in his family held slaves. Right. And so it's, it's like a two-pronged um, problem. It's the fact that they are so coordinated, but also they apply such a horribly inconsistent metric. It's, uh, it's really quite, quite brutal, but at least the cat's out of the bag in the way that it's so obvious now that there's really no going back. Right. And, you know, I I stopped. Uh, I, I've talked about this before. Michael Malice, the libertarian commentator, started this like a year ago. But I, uh, I, I stopped calling the press the mainstream media because there's nothing mainstream about mm-hmm. just carrying water for the Democratic Party. Like, that's not normal. Like, we shouldn't normalize these monsters by calling them the mainstream media. Like, there's, there's nothing mainstream about them. They are radical mm-hmm. communists essentially. So I, I call them the, the corporate press because that's what they are. You know, they're all owned by multinational corporations anyway. So, uh, you know, they, they, these people, and you're right, there is no going back. You know, the cat is out of the bag. 
Um, you know, it, it's funny, man. Like, obviously, their ratings, you know, CNN, MSNBC, you know, the subscriptions for the New York Times and Washington Post, they, they're all way down. Yeah. And I, obviously, I, I don't know. I, I, I can ask you just backing up. This is the first time you've ever been on the show. Like, what made you get into the, because uh, you have your own show. Um, on iTunes and YouTube and all that, uh, and what what made you get into the political commentary world? But uh, and I've mentioned this before; the audience already knows. I basically started the show because I hate the press. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I started the show. Um, me and my former producer Josiah, we were each watching the the 2016 elections come in, uh, in November 2016, and and I was flipping back and forth between CNN and uh, Fox News, and Fox News was lying, saying, like, oh, yeah, see, we told you guys, we knew Trump was going to win, which mm-hmm. I don't think Trump's own family thought he was going to win. And then uh, MSNBC had uh, uh, Martha Raddatz crying on air because Hillary Clinton lost. And I was like, wow, these people are awful. Like, these people are just the worst. Like, I can do better than <laughs> than that. If I can't, then maybe I should yeah. just, you know, never open my mouth or get on the Internet ever again. <laughs> and the bar is set so low. So, like, did the press being so terrible at their jobs kind of, push you into this game the same way they did with me yeah i think it was uh, it was two things with me so one was definitely the press um kind of similarly to you kind of around the election it was just so so ridiculous so coming from the uk i feel like there is still some level of media bias but they tend to be both a little more subtle with it um but also put some effort towards showing both sides but also the politics aren't quite as polarized so it's that's an easier game to play um but something else is i live uh, live and work in in Silicon Valley. And so it's a very, very kind of hardcore left-leaning place. Um, and so after the election, I was kind of surrounded by people who are, you know, all kind of very intelligent people, uh, very, very kind, very friendly. And then these statements that are just coming out after the election was just quite appalling of how reasonable people were calling anyone who is a conservative a Nazi, a racist. If you if you voted for Trump, you know, you're, you're doing so out of some form of bigotry or homophobia or xenophobia and i think that not that i'm i'm not myself a trump supporter but i was just looking at this and i thought how can somewhere that claims to be kind of the the center of empathy and the center of compassion and diversity and there's to some extent no such thing when it comes to political thought so i i decided to start writing and then i started um, doing my podcast just to try and bring some kind of reasonable it's still opinion based but reasonable opinion based um, reporting to a lot of things that are going on because it's it really is dominated by a virulently left-wing media that is really just given free reign to say and do what they want and a lot of their customers who haven't left aren't demanding a better quality of journalism from them they're just quite happy with this kind of banging the drum of hatred for anyone who doesn't share your views and it really has to stop because all all I can see is that it eventually become some kind of ideological civil war where you can't to even be around people who don't agree with you on every single point so uh, that was the kind of the two reasons I got into it was just if I want to change things and I want to change how people both see conservatism but also for those who, who don't feel comfortable speaking out I thought well the only way I'm going to do that is by sharing my opinions it's not going to happen just by remaining silent so right it's been right. an interesting journey so far yeah definitely yeah definitely um real quick it- to the best of my understanding, and I may be wrong, so let me know if I'm wrong about this, but the press in the UK, they they tend to be a little bit more upfront with their political leanings too, right? There's you know there's left-wing papers and right-wing papers, so you know what you're getting when you purchase those papers, right? It, 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 am I right about that? 
Oh yeah, I think with the with the newspapers, it tends to be pretty clear. I also think, um, on the whole, British news British newspapers tend to be more honest when it comes to the type of article. Uh, so you'll see opinion pieces, you'll see analysis, and you'll see reporting, and you can usually tell which is which, um, which is something you can't do. I mean, CNN are literally the worst at this, or or the New York Times. Whenever you read those articles, every every piece is an opinion piece. Um, and it's it's awful because you it is truly impossible just to get the basic facts of any situation without having some quite biased person put their spin onto it. When in a lot of cases, spin isn't necessary when you're reporting on political events, for example, and they've only just occurred. There's so much information. All you should be doing is presenting people with the information. But there's there's really none of that. So that's quite a nice difference between the UK and the US. But I also think, in a, like a lot of other things, the UK is, I'd say, five to 10 years behind the US in a lot of these changes. And I, I could see the same kind of division and the same kind of bias happening there. It's just a little, it'll slower to happen. Right, right. Yeah. And you're, you're right about the New York Times and CNN. They probably are the worst offenders. And it, it, it really sucks too, because obviously guys like you and I, we don't have reporters on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. Like we don't have the budgets. We don't have the means, the, the, the financial means. Like I, I can't go out in the field and report on everything. Like I can't go to Jerusalem and report on, on something. I can't go to Iraq and, and report on the war. Like we can't, we don't have enough money to hire people to do that. So all of us, even companies like the Daily Wire or, well, the Blaze does have some uh, reporters on in, out in the field, but not, not very many. But we're all relying on, companies like the times and and cnn and and stuff like that to get the actual facts um which is terrifying which is terrifying when like you said it's basically everything they write it's just a you know op-eds mm-hmm. praising communism essentially but we're still relying on their reporters to get the actual facts on the ground which is it's very troubling it's very problematic man well it's also i think it's something if you have the time you can be a bit more proactive about so what i tend to do um, especially with kind of international stories, is just read a ton of different uh, sites and outlets. But that's very time-consuming, and it, that's something I'm doing because I'm obviously interested in getting to the heart of what's going on. But people should be able to trust in what you used to call mainstream media outlets enough to just be able to read for a few minutes and pick up what's going on. Uh, but that, that trust just doesn't exist, and I think it's going to take a while for these smaller outlets that are appearing either online or through the podcast system to, to catch up with their spending power. And so um, luckily, in a lot of ways, I think mainstream media is, is dying, but they're dying an incredibly slow death. And they're going to take uh, a lot of time to do so. I think they're really going to dig their claws in because they're, they're not used to this new medium where people, you know, literally anyone can just buy a microphone and they, they can start a podcast. And there's not this entry uh, kind of barrier to entry that there used to be. And I think that's that terrifies a lot of mainstream media uh, companies. And they are a little slow on the on the reason for why people are becoming popular outside of the mainstream media. Right. And I was thinking about this before we started recording, and I was trying to think of, you know, the lists of journalists and, and commentators on, on CNN and MSNBC, even, you know, the, the networks, ABC, NBC, and, and companies like The Post and The Times, trying to think if there's anybody I actually respect. And the answer is no. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic or anything. I'm not trying to be, you know, say something edgy or whatever. But I don't know if there's anyone in in the corporate press who is actually doing a good job. And it's it's it sucks for me because on days I do a podcast, I do not absorb any commentary. 
like I don't listen to any like the the evening before or the morning before I record a podcast. You know, I, I listen to nothing. I don't listen to any other podcasts. I don't watch the news. I just read mm-hmm. articles to try to get caught up to speed on what I'm going to talk on. And, and you know, I'll, I'll read the Wall Street Journal. I'll read the New York Times. I'll read, you know, like conservative outlets like National Review. And then I'll read some left wing outlets, too. And it's like it's tough to even figure out what the hell is going on sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> because it's, yeah. it is all opinion. Like you can't read the New York Times for facts. It is all opinion. So it's almost it's it's difficult for me to even do prep for the show sometimes because it's hard to get to the truth. Like, are there any people working at these you know legacy media corporations that you think are actually good at their jobs? I mean, I can think of like Brett Baer on Fox News. Mm-hmm. I think he's like maybe the last hard newsman on cable news. I can't really think of another. Um, I think Jake yeah, I Tapper think Brett, I tries. Think but he can't hide his socialism <laughs> sometimes too. So it's like I, Brett Bear. I, it, I'm struggling to think of anybody else. Yeah, I think um, you, you named the two people I would have named. I think Brett and Jake are, are kind of people who are still at the heart of it, journalists. I think the problem with the print media um, is that there really seems to be no no objective metric that's applied if you are following the right ideology. So so many things I've written uh, I've read sorry in the last I'd say six months so much of the New York Times is just garbage like you read it and it's like a high school level kind of mediocre essay (laughs) and so this is the New York Times the most one of the most famous newspapers in the world it it used to be you know something was printed the New York Times you would assume it had a certain quality and now it's just that that same trust doesn't exist it really is just awful some of the things you read just like be hilariously awful it's like someone just woke up half drunk one morning threw down a bunch of kind of social justice warrior statements wrapped it all together and sent it off and they just print it now so i think that's that's where the trust is dying it's not necessarily that the journalists who have been there the whole time have changed i think they're being forced to change because of the level of quality that's just diving it's it's really terrible to see and to see these kind of very reputable outlets just dying is is sad i think even if you don't agree with the the leanings they have i think the death of such an institution is always to some extent sad to see, but it's, it's of their own doing. Right. The, the bias and like, <laughs> and the quality, like you, you hit the nail on the head, the quality too. Like some of the writing is just bad. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's funny. Like, I mean, the New York times, for instance, just on, on this SJW shit show pieces that they published. I mean, they published a piece yesterday about how air conditioning is sexist. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So I mean, like, this is really what we're doing, but even like, the the quality of writing itself is bad. If you read yeah. like the New York Times op, but like you know, like you write for Daily Wire and others. I, I I've had a few pieces published at different sites, um, but it's like some of these New York Times op eds. Like I know if I would have written that, you know, but make it conservative instead of leftist and sent it to my editor, they'd be like, I can't print this. Like this is mm-hmm. this is like a third grader wrote this. <laughs> like, yeah. you write for Daily Wire. Like if you wrote something as irresponsibly and inarticulately as some of these people in the New York times and then send it to, you know, Emily or whoever your, your editor is over at daily wire. She'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Ian. Yeah. <laughs> like, are you, are you how, how much should. did you smoke today, man? You know like, what I mean? Should, there, shouldn't, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be such a low bar for, for quality. It's, it's laughable. I mean, I think some of these arguments, so for example, taking the air conditioning is sexist argument. It's a stupid argument. There's really no logical argument in favor of that. It's literally just trying to slap the label <laughs> of sexism on, on anything. Anything. But you could make it an interesting 
kind of philosophical argument if you wanted to. If you had an intelligent person writing about it, it would be at least interesting to read. But when it's written by someone who's just basically certified moron, it's, it's not interesting. So there's nothing, there's nothing challenging about it. It's just banging the drum of far leftism. And that is not interesting. So I'm more than happy to read things I, I disagree with, but it has to be intellectually challenging and solid enough to actually warrant broaching the topic. You can't just give a pen to anyone and just say, all right, well, as long as you're <laughs> going to write kind of the right thing, off you go. It's, it's not good. And, you know, a lot of these writers, like, I assume they're, at least some of some of them are just dumb as a box of rocks, but I assume that a lot of these folks are, you know, intelligent human beings with high IQs, you know, like, I'll at least give them the benefit of the doubt, but I think they're just a victim of their own bias. Like, they're a victim of their own leftism and statism. Like, you know, the Bible verse, you know, as, as iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another man. I, obviously, they're never being challenged. Like, they're never mm-hmm. being intellectually challenged. They live in their own bubbles in in L.A. or, or D.C. or Manhattan, and they, they never talk to a conservative. They never debate yeah. anybody. I mean, I sit around—I'm I'm from Toledo, Ohio, man. Like, my my district—I'm in Marcy Captor's district. She's a socialist, and she wins re-election with somewhere between 75 to 80 percent of the vote— all mm-hmm. the time. Like most of my family members and friends are on the left, some of them the extreme left. I'm constantly having conversations and debating and learning new things and you know, putting my ideas through the fire to see if they hold up. These people don't. So they just get dumb. Yeah. <laughs> like as the years go by, they get dumber and dumber because they're never challenged intellectually. I mean, I think it's it's a problem all, all over. I think it's a problem where you saw after the 2016 election, people would tailor their own social media to make sure that they lived in a bubble. I think it's it's happening. Even if you do, do speak to conservatives or or people who are on the left, quite often people go straight to the ad hominem ad hominem attacks rather than actually hearing arguments. So it's like, oh, you think that because you're racist. Like I've I've literally been told that to my face multiple times. Of say you want to talk about immigration policy. So like, oh well, you want kids to die at the border. Like there's every single level of debate yep, is cut it. off at the very at the very root. And it's just so intellectually dishonest. Um, I don't even want to say offensive because I think that's it's not a personal thing. It's a laziness thing. I think it's there's this huge fear of ever talking about something that even threatens your way of viewing the world, which really comes down to the fact that people will build their entire kind of moral self-esteem on their political view. Like if someone tells me, like, oh, Ian, I think your views on taxation are, you know, are wrong. Here are the reasons. I'm not going to go away thinking, oh, my goodness, they think I'm a bad person. But if I told someone like, hey, I think your your ideas on immigration policy, having an open border is a bad idea. Some of these people come away like oh, they think I'm a bad person. It's like, I don't care what kind of person you are. I want to talk about policy. Right. But, but some of these people, they tie their their moral self-esteem to their view and then they'll defend it to the death. And that's that's really the, the end of debate, the complete end of debate. Yeah. And the thing is, with with living in your own bubble, conservatives really can't. Like people on the right really can't, even if you live in a conservative, even if you live in Abilene, Texas, right? Whatever. Like, you know, your Republican congressman wins reelection every two years with 90 percent of the vote, whatever. Lubbock, Texas, let's say you still can't because like the left controls all of Hollywood, all Mm -hmm. of the the media, the entire press. Anytime you turn on Netflix, anytime you go to the movies, anytime you, you whatever, like they control everything. They control sports. Like you can't yeah. watch you can't watch sports without being indoctrinated with with leftist leftist propaganda. So it's like even if all of your friends and family and community and city and neighbors and everybody they're all on the right, 
you still can't like it's not physically po- like conservatives ideas will be challenged if mm-hmm. even if it's not by your neighbors it's by the media it's by tv and movies and hollywood so it's like and and st- statistically speaking I, I think uh andrew yang the the 2020 democratic candidate for president pointed this out how he's noticed that you know conservatives follow leftists on twitter but it's mm-hmm. n- never the other way around like yeah. left-wing people do not follow us on Twitter. Like they, they specifically want to wall themselves off from the real world. And uh, in a way that I, I don't think, maybe there are examples that prove me wrong, but I, I don't think conservatives do that. And even if they want to do, I don't think it's physically possible. Well, I think there are, there are some people who call themselves conservatives who do that, but I'd say they're more kind of the populist conservative who are really very similar to the to the left in terms of their identity politics they just apply it on the right but i don't really see that as as conservatives i think if you are a true conservative you you don't do that because it goes kind of flies in the face of a lot of the fundamental principles of the ideology i think you were i think you're right saying about the um kind of infiltration of leftism in culture generally i think that's that's where the the step has gone too far in a lot of ways because everything is dominated by this kind of left wing kind of leaning and it's uh it's a problem things that used to be points of unity have been really taken over i mean just take the the women's world cup that should have just been a, you know a tournament for soccer that some people would have enjoyed most people wouldn't have watched because women's soccer is not that popular but it could have just been you know a nice thing people could have got together it doesn't really matter about your political leaning um but it has become another set uh, another point of division and it's it's terrible i mean you've got the captain um megan rapino who has the chance to unite a country and instead is, is basically setting the groundwork for her post-soccer career um, as a political activist. And it's just, where does this end? If you are, if you are so willing to basically slander 50% of your audience every time you go out, then people aren't going to want to watch your stuff anymore. I mean, NFL rank um, ratings have been going down after the, you know, the whole uh, kneeling for the anthem thing. And it's just, this is not where politics belongs along sports is one of the things that we can all enjoy together um and, and kind of look each other in the face and even if we're on different teams it's just it's just a game but every single element of life has been taken over by politics and it's really it ruins everything because there's just there's no shared area of enjoyment anymore or respect right no no i, I definitely agree and I mean, look, I refuse to normalize soccer, to legitimize (laughs) soccer as a real sport. It's a child's game enjoyed primarily in communist countries. So uh, and and most of the the games end in a tie. So it it is it is just socialist propaganda at this point. I I think it's (laughs) I I refuse to I'd rather watch that weird uh, uh, Canadian sport where they're on ice with like brooms and big rocks and shit. What? what Oh, curling. Yeah. Curling. I don't understand what's going on, but I would rather watch that than soccer. (laughs) I mean, the UK are good at curling, so that's one of our, our go-to medals in the Winter Olympics. I won't hear anything bad said about curling. But yeah, in, in terms of soccer, it's kind of... I'm not a giant fan. I, I, I kind of feel like it's it's just a sport that a lot of people do enjoy. And so to to have built this entire Women's World Cup on the equal pay debate, rather than just celebrating the fact <laughs> that the, the women's team won. It's like how, how to ruin such a positive thing with, with a debate that's also built upon a complete myth and a complete uh, lack of any kind of statistical analysis. So it's just it's a the, great shame. The, the equal pay stuff, uh, this, this economically illiterate nonsense. People have been bringing it up for a decade now with the WNBA. 
You know oh, yeah. how it's, you know, well, LeBron James makes $50 million a year. Well, no shit, guys. Come on. It, it, nobody, I've never seen a WNBA game. Neither has anyone else. I mean, they get like a thousand fans to show up. And yep. every, you know, you could watch two terrible, you could watch the Cavs and the Wizards, just two trash teams, and there's still going to be 35,000 people in attendance. I mean, that's just, that's how it works. That's mm-hmm. how free markets work. So, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, not just with Megan Rapino. I, uh, I look. I like I said. I don't give a shit about soccer or Megan Rapino. I'd never heard of her before this past week, but you know she was on CNN and MSNBC a lot. I didn't watch it. Fair, fair warning to the audience. I didn't watch any of those <laughs> interviews. But it, it goes back to the whole woke capitalism thing. Like it is an odd move. If you want to get paid more, it's an odd move to alienate fifty percent of the country. Like I just don't get. Like yeah. look, you just won the World Cup. You're like you're the best female team in the world. Like. You had this huge platform to try to grow your sport and to grow your profile and make more money, and you're just starting by just shooting yourself in the foot. Like that is just mm-hmm. like get woke, go broke, brother. Like I just don't understand how that just just as a business model, as a strategy in business, I don't understand why alienating half the country is smart. Well, I think it's I think the problem is it, it has worked in some elements. So I I wrote an article the other day I think for yeah for townhall.com about how Nike have been using Colin Kaepernick to kind of stir division. And a lot of conservatives have been freaking out and boycotting Nike every time. And, you know, boycott Nike has been going viral on Twitter. And their stock has actually been going up because on the one hand, they get half of the country who think what Colin Kaepernick is doing is great. And so they'll go out and buy more products. And then on the other half, they're so outraged, they'll basically provide Nike with millions, if not billions of dollars of free advertising. So I think on a corporate level, it makes a lot of sense. But if you are actually one of these players who is concerned that you're not being paid enough, then you're not going to get anywhere from here. You might get a deal with one of these companies that wants to profit on the back of your activism, but it's doing nothing for your sport. I, I doubt very much that any conservative is going to see all this stuff, think, you know what, I'm going to go and try one of these WNBA games or one of these uh, women's soccer games. It's just not going to happen. And that is where long term the money is going to come from, because people aren't going to go watch the games. The game game isn't going to improve because you won't have the investment in the game. And ultimately, it's about quality. People go and see LeBron James over the WNBA because the WNBA sucks and LeBron James is one of the best players of all time. So, of course, you're going to spend hundreds of dollars to go and see one over the other. Like it, It's not even a debate. And so unless quality improves long term, people won't go. People might go short term with some enthusiasm after the World Cup. But ultimately, they're going to go and want to see the best quality they can for their money. One more. So you point. might get some short. What one Go more ahead. point on Megan Rapino is the hilarious article that I'm sure we've all read, and I'll tweet it out for the audience that hasn't read it. The U.S. women's team lost to a 15 and under boys team in Dallas, mm-hmm. Texas last year. They got beat by a bunch of 14 and 15 year old boys, five to two. My goodness, I don't have any point here. No point. I'm just saying that's that's fucking hilarious. That is I mean, it just it it just kind of proves the difference between average male and female um, kind of physical abilities and attributes in sports. So uh, the, the women's uh, American soccer team, are undoubtedly the best women's team in the world. But if you put every single men's and women's team along a scale, the women's team would be far towards the worst. And that's that's just objective fact. But you say that to a lot of people on the left and they will lose their mind. So it's, yeah, uh, it's so strange that they have this like perverse, weird, 
like obsession with making men and women like equal at everything, mm-hmm. which is just not the case. I mean, women are way better than us at a lot of stuff, man, and that's good. And then we are better than them at things like athletics. It's just common sense. But all right, let's move well, certainly, on. Real... Certainly on like an average level, I think obviously right. there'll be there'll be individuals who are better than others, but the moment you talk about averages, people on the left tend to lose their minds a little bit. Right, like Amanda Nunez could knock me out, you know, but <laughs> she's one of a handful of women on the planet that could do that because most women just don't hit hard enough <laughs> to, to knock me out. It's just basic physiology, just physiological difference between men and women. Just, all right, common <laughs> sense. So, all right, let's move on. Let's check in because we haven't uh, over a week. Let's check in on the 2020 Democratic field. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our first casualty, Ian. We have our first casualty of war yeah. here, and I'm that devastated. is I'm devastated. That is the man who proclaimed to be all of us, <laughs> the myth, the legend, Eric Swalwell, the first Democrat to drop out of the race. I'm a little sad because this guy is just the worst. Obviously, he's most famous for threatening to nuke gun owners. I don't know why that was. Uh, he thought that was a smart call uh, when he was rolling out his presidential <laughs> run. But uh, look, I mean, the guy is just a walking attack ad against Democrats. Like Eric Swalwell in the race is actually very good for Republicans, I think. So this this one is a. I'm, I'm a little sad watching this guy drop out. Yeah, I'm I'm sad too. I mean, he's just comedy gold. I mean, he's he's clearly just an idiot. He doesn't really know a ton about policy or no. or or any kind of how how to push a lot of his policies forward in a positive way. It seemed a lot of his his campaign was based on effectively gun confiscation. I mean, like, good luck with that. Like, <laughs> have fun, have fun going to Texas and trying to confiscate their guns. Like, let me know how that goes. And so he he had no hope. But I just kind of enjoyed it because he was he was honestly like the 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 high kind of high school lead jock who somehow managed to get into the debate team, and he's gone way further than he thought he would. And so he's like kind of just going with it, kind of being a bit of a douchebag. Uh, I loved it when he started having a go at Pete uh, Buttigieg during the Democratic debate of just asking why he didn't fire the cop. It's just like, I don't support Eric Swalwell at all, but he's certainly funny. Just like uh, definitely the the funniest idiot on that stage (laughs) to date, at least. Right. So the 2020 race is a four man race. Uh, I mean, everybody else should probably drop out at this point. It is a four man race between Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Liz Warren and Kamala Harris. Um, everybody mm-hmm. else is polling in single digits. I think uh, uh, the, the the fifth candidate on that list is Buttigieg, and he's averaging. I, I looked it up. I think it's like five point two percent. Yeah, he's never he's never <laughs> is, broken is, he's never broken yeah. ten. Yeah, which wow. I mean, he he really got the full uh, Beto running against Ted Cruz kind of treatment from the press. <laughs> I mean, they really yeah. propped him up. You know, the mayor of a town of a hundred thousand people. Um, which is actually a horrible town. I mean, there's like lots of murder, lots of very yeah. high unemployment in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, so it's hilarious that they propped him up. But look, do you, outside of those four, the big four, is there anyone running? And there's 26 of them running now. Uh, well, I guess 20, it's still a 25 because Tom Steyer, the leftist billionaire, jumped in and then Eric Swalwell dropped out. So they're, they're back at 25. But is there anyone other than the big four that you could see actually making a run here? and stealing the nomination, or should we only focus on those four? No, I think I would be very surprised if any of them um, got anywhere. I think the problem is that there's not enough. So on the left, there's there's kind of chunks of ideology that everyone is trying to fight for. So Joe Biden is trying to fight for that kind of middle ground of the, the moderate Democrats who are kind of a little tired of how extreme everything's got. 
Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are trying to chop up the far left crowd. Kamala Harris is going very hard after the identity politics crowd. And that's pretty much the entire basis of the current Democratic Party's uh, policies. So there's really no one who can take a bite out of that. Like Cory Booker is trying his absolute best to do the identity politics game. He, he is terrible at it. Like Kamala Harris, I think I can't stand her, but she's very good at the identity politics game. So I can't see anyone really fighting Kamala Harris on that point. I think uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are owning the the crazy loon bag far left part of it. Um, I, I don't see anyone who has either the notoriety of Bernie Sanders or the, the kind of underlying intelligence of Elizabeth Warren who can combat them. And Joe Biden is just clinging on for dear life, hoping that the media don't destroy him in time for the uh, in time for the nomination decision. So it's I, I can't see anyone kind of coming out against them. I hope Marianne Williamson goes far. I think she's I love kind of her. The kind of hilarious, the hilarious oh nutcase that we all wish were in our lives all the time. But uh, I can't see her going too far. So it, I think this is ultimately my my problem with the primary system of it's not really built for success in a lot of ways because you become incredibly divisive within your own team. And then the person who is best in that team is not necessarily the best to beat the other person. So it could be to the Republicans' advantage this time. Uh, but it's it's not good for the Democrats. Democratic Party, because they're they're going to have to start tearing into each other eventually when people start to drop out and it gets towards the last four. There's three candidates that I really wanted to do well. Um, obviously, I would never vote for any of these socialists, but um, there's three candidates I really wanted to do well. Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang, because they seem like genuinely nice human beings. That's it. I mean, that, that, that's the only reason mm-hmm. why I wanted them to do well, because they seem like you could actually sit down and have a beer with them and like yep. not want to kill yourself. So, <laughs> that's a, like, you that's know, such like, a low bar. <laughs> I know. I, look, these people have set the bar so low. They're a bunch of anti-Semitic communists <laughs> that want to confiscate our as property. Long as you, you desire for suicide, I'll vote for you. <laughs> yes. So, you know, Andrew Yang's a smart guy. He understands, like, you know, like math. And stuff. So, like, I, you know, I could get a beer with him. Tulsi Gabbard, you know, she she's anti-war, which I like. Uh, and, you know, she's pretty, so that's cool. But, you know, they're both pulling at, like, 0%. And then the other one I want to do well was Amy Klobuchar, because she's a psycho bitch. <laughs> yeah, I, she, like, beats her staff and, like, you know, throws office supplies at people. And she ate a salad with a comb and then made her staffer wash it. And so, like, she just seems so crazy. That I just wanted her to go well. I just want like a public meltdown of, yeah, of I really her, like hope, uh, beating her chief of staff or something. You want so, her like, that, to go far enough in the debates that someone gets under her skin just enough that she just like lifts the podium up and starts starts going to town. <laughs> just so, beats somebody to happen. death with a podium. Yes, <laughs> like that. That's but th- those are the only like redeeming qualities of those three candidates. Like obviously they're terrible. I mean they're all like socialists essentially, so um, they're bad. But you know if those three did well, it would at least be entertaining for obviously different reasons. But um, a Rasmussen poll came out this morning, or at least I read it this morning. I don't know when it actually came out. Sometime this week that showed something very interesting, and it broke down. Um, who who voter who Democrats voted for in 2016 and then showed who they're supporting now uh, mm-hmm. for the 2020 race and uh, 2016 Hillary voters not surprising overwhelmingly support Joe Biden. What's <laughs> I love this next one. I love this next one, man. 2016 Bernie Sanders voters actually prefer Elizabeth Warren over Bernie Sanders, which just warms my heart. I mean, I really like and look the race in my mind is actually between 
three candidates, you know, Harris, uh, Warren, and Biden, because Bernie Sanders <clears throat> was in second place forever, but he's dropping like a stone right now. Um, and that just warms my heart. I mean, I love seeing that 79-year-old communist fail. I mean, because he is literally the worst thing that's happened to American politics in, I mean, since, in decades, decades. I mean, Bernie Sanders might actually go down. Let's say that the Democrats do go full socialist and they start getting elected president. Like, Bernie Sanders could go down in history as, like, the man that ruined the country, really. Because, like, he's the one that normalized socialism. He, he's mm-hmm. the one that normalized Marxism in 2015, 2016. So, like, I can't—I hate that guy more than any politician alive right now, at least in our country. So I love seeing him fail. And that's very interesting that his supporters from 2016 are actually uh, flocking to Liz Warren. I, I You know, I, I'd expect that after he dropped out. But uh, it, it's, it's funny that people are abandoning him. For, well, I mean, Warren's a socialist, too, but— um, maybe not as extreme as Sanders. I don't know. But yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. Well, I think she I think she actually is extreme. I think she's just much smarter than him. So I think Bernie right. Sanders has kind of been playing the same political game his entire life where he just kind of sits there getting progressively older, ranting about uh, kind of the joys of, of far left socialism and to some extent communism. But when he got the notoriety that he received in 2016, he he went far beyond kind of the crowds he was used to. And so People started actually asking, OK, how will we do this? And that's where he really fell apart in the um, in the debate, which I think is really the beginning of the end for him, is that he couldn't answer a single question. And then you compare him to someone like Elizabeth Warren, who has clearly set her at, the, at least the initial parts of her campaign on taking a giant chunk out of Bernie Sanders support. She as she says, she has a plan for everything. It doesn't really matter. That it's a crappy plan, but at least she has a plan. And so she comes across as a much more thought through, intelligent option than kind of an old loom bag who just kind of screams at the moon so it's i'm not surprised that elizabeth warren has taken the chunk out of bernie sanders that that was her strategy all along i think the the challenging part for elizabeth warren will be is if she knocks bernie sanders off and then she has to go after joe biden she's going to have to swing back to the middle a little bit and that's, that's going to be quite challenging i mean honestly i the fact that Elizabeth Warren pretended to be a Native American for decades for her own career <laughs> gain and she's still there and the Democrats seem cool with it. Like anything goes at this point. Like I know. Marianne, Will- Marianne Williamson could be the president. Like, I don't know what's happening. It's just insane. Marianne Williamson is the nominee that we that we deserve. I mean, I mean she, it would be she... it would be hilarious. Like, her versus Trump. Oh, um, I oh, would gosh. I would buy that one on Blu-ray. Can you imagine? Oh, my goodness. I put it on pay-per-view. My goodness. Well, especially as especially as her closing statement sounded like she was hitting on Trump. Like, yeah. meet me in the battlefield, you know, love will win. It's like, uh, I, I don't think Trump's the kind of guy you want to be uh, sending mixed signals to. <laughs> he's, he's a little he's a little handsy from what I've heard. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know if you're a betting man or not, um, but if you had to bet, who, uh, which Democrat makes it out of this primary? So, uh, with me, it's close between Warren and Kamala Harris. Um, I think Elizabeth Warren's going to win, mainly because Kamala Harris has quite a few skeletons in her closet that are yet to yet to come out. And I think Elizabeth Warren is smart enough to time that well enough to kind of point that out. Um, I think Kamala Harris is going full on the, the identity politics train uh, in her speech at the Essence Festival. She went on and on about all these things she's going to do for the African-American community. Um, but the fact that she was involved in uh, the criminal justice system for so long is, is almost certainly going to come up. And she did some pretty dodgy things during her time there. So I think Elizabeth Warren, she's survived 
pretending to be a Native American. So I think <laughs> no, nothing can go worse for her. So she would be my bet. It's not it's not a bet I would place happily, but she would be my bet. Yeah, you know, I I, I agree that I don't think it's going to be Kamala Harris because, yeah, like you said, Warren and Biden are both at least like battle tested. Elizabeth Warren survived being trolled into taking a DNA test that proves she's <laughs> at the most one one thousand and twenty fourth Indian and still survived. And she's one of the front runners. And Joe Biden had the worst week a candidate could possibly have. He had the worst debate performance. He could probably I mean, he couldn't have asked for a worse week. Like if. Oh, my goodness. And he still came out. As the front runner, like he's still up somewhere between five to ten points, depending on what polls you want to believe. So it's like he took all of those hits and he's still there. Liz Warren, my gosh, you know, my goodness, she's still there somehow. And yeah, like Kamala Harris is going to have to answer to the fucking Willie Brown to start her political career thing. Like no one's ever called her on that, that she slept her way to the top with a married man when she was in her 20s and he was like 55 or something like that. Um yeah, I mean, she's going to have, like, somebody's going to have to hit her with that, obviously. Um, and well, just, that's that's a doozy, I mean, too. Like, I don't know how you come even, back from that even late, Even later in her career, you know, she's she's had cases where it's alleged she kept people wrongly imprisoned uh, to kind of keep her record. She's held completely inconsistent views on uh, deportation, for example, when she was in California, I believe, between 2011 and 2013. She was in incredibly quiet on deportations as she was you know, trying to make it in the Democratic Party. So her her record is really open and, and, and vulnerable to be attacked. So it, it hopefully happens soon. I'm sad that Joe Biden didn't go after her harder. Um, at the time, I actually thought he handled her quite well. I think I was like the only conservative commentator who thought he actually did well. But I think that's that was kind of from a, a personal view of I liked the fact that he was kind of reasonable and didn't just attack her back equally but i think for the democrats it's gonna you're gonna have to fight fire with fire unfortunately so i think uh, if if someone goes after him again he really needs to fight for his uh, 2020 hopes and hit them back pretty hard yeah i mean look you're a reasonable you're a reasonable person ian <laughs> but your average democratic base primary voter is not nearly as reasonable as you so that's probably why they disagreed <laughs> with you on that but uh yeah i, I yeah you know I, i'd go with Biden or Warren, probably mm-hmm. as ridiculous as that is. What a time to be yeah, alive! Yeah, isn't that crazy? Man. What a time to be alive! <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm out of time, so I gotta let you go. But first, Ian, where can everybody check out your show? Uh, where can everybody follow you online and read your stuff and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Yeah, so you can find me on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. At uh, my handle is I G Howarth, so that's I G H A W O R T H. My website is also www.ighowarth.com. So that's one more time. That's I-G-H-A-W-O-R-T-H.com. Uh, you can find my YouTube channel link there. So if anyone can subscribe for my episodes, that'd be great. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for having me. I had a great time chatting. Absolutely. Everybody follow Ian. He's great. Check out his show on YouTube. It is really well done. Uh, he's doing great work over there. Um, uh, yeah, that's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. <laughs>